Good morning. Uh, yes, thank, thank you for saying good morning. That was nice. I wasn't expecting that. That was good. Uh, I'm Nathan. If you've not had a chance to, uh, if we've not had a chance to meet each other, my name's Nathan. It's one of my joys to to uh, serve you in the Word week to week. One of the pastors here, and we're finishing up the book of or the letter of First Thessalonians. You can find that on the chair Bible in front of you on roughly page 988. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 25 to 28. Um, but uh, some of you know uh, our daughter church, uh, which is a, we have a Spanish-speaking daughter church here from this church. I can't speak uh, any Spanish. I realized that yesterday when I was having to deliver something. And yeah, we had, yeah, it was not easy. But nevertheless, the brother that leads that church, his name's Alejandro. He's from Venezuela. He speaks uh, obviously Spanish and and uh, speaks and understands English wonderfully. And uh, he is one of the dearest friends I have on planet Earth. Alejandro is. And uh, we have a lot of conversations. He and I talk. And uh, one of the moments that always gets a little awkward and interesting is as I'm talking, I will then slip in an idiom. And uh, I'll say an idiom, like I'll say, he'll say, Nathan, how are you? And I say, I'm good, you know, but uh, I'm tired. I was up all night burning the midnight oil. And Alejandro will inevitably go, what does that mean, burning the midnight oil? Uh, and I'll, 80% of the time, I'll go, I don't know. I don't, uh, just say these things, I don't even know, but they make sense. And we sort of use them or I'll, you know, I'm saying to Alejandro, come on, I'm trying to get him to tell me something. And he'll say, and I'll say to him, spill the beans, Alejandro. And he'll say, what does that mean? Spill the bean. Where does that come from? And again, most of the time, I don't know what that means. I just sort of, it fits the context and off we go. But we use these terms and oftentimes we use them appropriately because they've become so familiar to us, but we may not even understand exactly what they mean and where they come from. Well, friends, the same can be said for some of the phrases that we use in Christianity. And I think we find some of those phrases here at the end of First Thessalonians chapter 5. These are sort of some familiar words that come oftentimes at the end of Paul's letters. And here they are. Listen to the reading of God's Word. First Thessalonians 5, 25 to 28. I'm gonna, by the way, I'm going to mention the brothers and sisters because the Greek allows us, the original allows us to do that here. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Now, friends, if you're anything like me, had you read that in your morning devotional, you probably would have sped right past it and not thought much about it. It sounds like he's saying, all right, listen, all right, pray for each other, right? Say hello to each other, read the Bible, grace to you, peace out. That's what it sort of feels like. But we as Christians know and believe what is called verbal plenary inspiration. Verbal, the words, plenary, all of the words, inspiration breathed out by God. All the words breathed out by God. So therefore, brothers and sisters... These words are here for us. They're authoritative for us. They have meaning for us. And so let's briefly consider each of these phrases and see their significance in our lives together before God. So that first one, brothers and sisters, pray for each other. Brothers and sisters, pray for each other. 
So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, they've shared how they've prayed for them. The Thessalonian Christians, as we've walked through this letter, we've seen numerous times how they've prayed for them. And here you'll notice Paul requests prayer for he and the rest of his team. And so that's significant for at least two reasons. First, it's significant because it teaches us that we all need prayer. Right? Paul was an apostle. He wrote 13 of the 27 New Testament books. He did amazing things in advancing the gospel. He was the preeminent theologian, the preeminent missionary of the apostolic age. And yet he still recognizes that he needs prayer for him and his team as they're advancing the gospel. It's easy to become so advanced in our knowledge of the faith or maybe the practice of our faith that we lose sight of our need to be empowered by the Spirit. And yet Paul and the boys there understand their weakness, and guys, so should we. Therefore, we should always be requesting prayer from others for our lives. Prayer, prayerlessness is pridefulness. Prayer, prayerfulness is powerfulness. Prayerlessness is pridefulness. Prayerfulness is powerfulness. But the other reason this is significant here, this request for prayer, the other reason it's significant is that Paul, Paul's request shows the importance of our need to depend upon the power of God to do the work of God in the church of God through the prayers of the saints of God. It shows us the importance of that. We thought about this a couple of weeks ago, with, that we should not quench the Spirit because it is by the Spirit that we come to live in the power of the gospel. And so your own prayer lives, and especially the prayers of God's people for you, are the hands that lay hold of the powerful Spirit. And so just stop for a minute. This was a fun exercise for me this week. Stop for a minute and think about how many times your mom and dad prayed for you. Or think about how many times maybe a pastor prayed for you or a friend or a sister or a neighbor or maybe even somebody you never even met. How many times they prayed for you? Think about how many times that has happened. Friends, we should note that God ordains the means as well as the ends to accomplish his purposes in our lives. And I assure you, Christian, so much of what you are today and where you are today is because you had godly people praying for you. I don't know how this works exactly, but some of you I've shared the story with that my grandmother prayed when my mom was pregnant with me that I would grow up to be an expository teacher. That's a true story. I don't know how that works, but apparently it did, right? Now, it doesn't always, our prayers don't always work its way out, but I just think about how Nathan Knight is today because of all these people praying for me. So it is with you. So it is with you. And so the knowledge of that alone ought to encourage us to not only pray for ourselves, but to request prayer for our own selves. And guys, none of that even mentions the fact that Jesus prays for us. Think about that. One old saint of old said, quote, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. And yet distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. Friends, we moderns have been discipled to do everything ourselves and think of, of, of prayer either as a waste of time or an absence of any real work. And that's a lie. No wonder we're exhausted or maybe even disenchanted with gospel ministry because we're not yielding or not actually going and praying and having other people prayed for us. 
And I can tell you to my shame that there's been times in which I've done gospel ministry when I haven't prayed much and I haven't asked people to pray for me. And I can tell you that when I was doing that gospel ministry, void of much prayer and asking for prayer, I can tell you that it was like trying to sell ice to Eskimos, right? It just felt so cold and so stale. And I went away from it discouraged and I didn't enjoy doing that work. And yet on the other hand, when I have asked people to pray for me and when I've prayed myself, I can tell you the experience of ministry was completely different. Instead of being life taking, it was life giving when people were praying for me. Because it was not I, but Christ working through me as he was enabled to through the prayers of his people. Some of you know Certainly my community group knows that last fall, the beginning of last fall, the end of the summer, I was just going through a season of dryness. Joey was gone for three months, and so maybe there's a relationship there. Uh, but I was just really having a hard time getting out of it. And so I asked my, in my community group, I asked my, the brothers in my community, I need you to pray for me, man. I'm just having a hard time, and I've, I've got to get up here and preach, right? I mean, every week it comes. Every, it's amazing how Sundays show up every seven days, Right? And so I needed to preach. So I need y'all to pray for me. And what's neat was, was not only did those brothers in that moment pray for me, but also I sent a text message out later that week and said, guys, I, I really had something to do. I don't even remember what it was. And I asked them to pray for me, I texted them out. And I just got text back. I'm praying for you, brother. And I came back and man, God met me through those prayers. Uh, just this morning, I had somebody text me. I had an email from another member in the church uh, yesterday or uh, day before where you said that you were reading the passage and then you started to pray for me. You have no idea what that does for me. You have no idea to know that you're praying for me. So how much more when you know that other people are praying for you? So powerful. So powerful. And when we request prayers from others, guys, when we request those prayers, let's learn from Paul's prayers and ask for prayers that are along the lines of the way that Paul prays, as we've been reading in Thessalonians. In other words, ask for people to pray for you with prayers that are those of substance. D.A. Carson writes in his excellent book on prayer, Praying with Paul, he says this, quote, Suppose, for example, that 80 to 90 percent of our petitions ask God for good health, recovery from illness, safety on the, on the road, a good job, success in exams, the emotional needs of our children, success in our mortgage application, and much more of the same. How much of Paul's praying revolves around prayers like that? And he says, if the center of our praying is far removed from the center of Paul's praying, then even our very praying may serve as a wretched testimony to the remarkable success of the process of paganization in our life and thought. Ouch. Right? I repent. I read that quote numerous times. I repent. Learn to pray and request prayers that are in keeping with the prayers we see in Scripture. Think about the content of Paul's prayers just in 1 Thessalonians. Right? We look, just think back last week, uh, where Paul is praying for the complete sanctification, body, soul, and spirit, and blamelessness at the day of Christ. That was one prayer we just considered last week. Or look back in chapter 3, verses 11 to 13. Paul prays that they would increase and abound in love for one another, that God may establish their hearts blameless before, the, before God the Father 
and the coming of Christ. That's another prayer he prayed. Right? His prayers were regularly focused on the holiness of the church and the growth therein. Because he was so aware of the return of Christ, our destiny, where we are going. This is the kind of prayer that we should be asking others to be in prayer for us about in our life together. Be asking for prayers that we would be holy, that you would be holy, that you would be bold, that you would be sacrificial, that you would be faithful, that you would be uh, a servant of Christ, steadfast in your love for the Lord. That's the example we get from Paul. Those are the kinds of prayers we should be praying. And yes, pray for those other things. Don't feel bad about that. But just make sure that these other requests, these more important, significant, substantial ones are also part of this prayer. Prayer is, friends, is not a mere obligation. Have you ever considered prayer is a privilege bought by the blood of Christ? Right? That moment when Christ dies and the veil is torn, we can go in. That's a privilege that we should seize upon. And so may we use it, this privilege. May we use it not merely to pray for our own comfort or for just our own group. But may we also use it as a battle cry to lift up our church family and the spread of the gospel. And so towards that end, I ask you to do what exactly you guys have already, some of you have already told me. I ask you to pray for me. I ask you to pray for the elders. Right? Every single week, please, I am pleading with you to pray for me, that I would be faithful to Christ. I'd be faithful to the word week after week, and I wouldn't be up here cold and stale. Pray for uh, Connor and his team that lead us in song. Uh, Pray for our deacons that are doing all kinds of ministry, oftentimes out of sight. Pray for your community group leaders, that they would be leading and facilitating in truth. Pray for the team in the Middle East that's trying to spread the gospel, and the team in Austria trying to spread the gospel amongst the gospel wasteland. Pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters. I mean, if you haven't signed up for the persecuted churches, uh, just regular emails and these kinds of things, that's a good flag to pray for them, especially in Nigeria. They're getting crushed right now. Pray for them. Pray that their faith would remain, that Christ would be real in their life. They would press out. Pray for each other. And covenant members of our church, we promised that we would do this. We promised that we would do this. And so bombard the throne of grace and ask not only for grace for yourselves to grow in holiness and adoration and boldness, but all the more ask for others to pray for you in the same. And then do it. And some of you say, well, Nathan, I'm not always sure exactly how to pray. Well, first off, be comforted that the disciples didn't know that either, right? But secondly, just pray Scripture. Open up the Bible, just read something, just start to pray it. We've got a book here. If I, I, there's none out here. I didn't bring any, but we've got more in the back. All right, praying the Bible just teaches you how to pray the Bible. Take, uh, take other psalms and just pray those psalms. Right? Grab little prayer books like Valley of Vision or Piercing Heaven. Use those. Pray those prayers. Prioritize the prayer gathering that we have once a month for an hour and 15, 20 minutes. Right? Come here the first Sunday night of every month where we're going to pray for others. Engage with the prayers here, just as you had uh, Ray sort of facilitate that. Engage with the prayers here this, on the Sunday mornings. Pray in your community groups. Don't make them perfunctory. We talk about this in CG trainings all the time. Don't make prayer perfunctory. Make it meaningful. Community group, we're going to pray a little bit more than we normally do this afternoon. Get together with a brother or sister just every other week. And you guys get together and you just all you're doing is just grabbing prayer requests for other people. 
and get together, have coffee, talk about life, and then spend 20 minutes just praying for other people. And if you get distracted like I do, well, then do what I do often. And I just start walking and praying out loud. Yeah, they think I'm crazy, but I don't care. Right? It keeps me focused. Right? Pray. Pray. Above all, pray for each other. I've been praying this week that Restoration Church would be a known as a church that prays. Charles Spurgeon is famous for saying, whatever you see in the ministry of, in my ministry, the ministry of the Metropolitan Tabernacle, it's because people prayed. Pray for each other. Pray and request prayers to pray Bible-saturated, Christ-honoring prayers that plead for more holiness, more hope in heaven, and not merely personalized circumstantial changes, which is fine to do. Brothers and sisters, pray for each other. And secondly, greet each other with family affection. Greet each other with family affection. Paul says there to greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. Our sister Sarah Pabone is the only one that has ever done this as my uh, as a pastor in 15 years. She's from Colombia, and I guess that's normal what they do. And that was before the pandemic. She'll come up and kiss me. It was always awkward, but I knew she loved me, and I let her do it. But the point that Paul's making here is not form, it's principle. It's not form. That's not what he's emphasizing, principle. Unlike the form that Scripture give us of physical attendance to the gathering or form of physically eating and drinking the Lord's Supper or the form of singing to the Lord and to one another that we are commanded to do for our good. This physical description here of greeting one another with a holy kiss is more likened to when Paul says, lift holy hands. Right? He's not saying that you're quenching the spirit if your hands are here instead of here. Right? That's not his point. It's not as though we quench the spirit by, again, not having our hands up a certain degree, as it were. Paul here is aiming at familial warmth to all in the congregation. And I want to emphasize that all. You'll notice, you see it in the text there, greet all. Familiar warmth. That's what he's emphasizing. He's used the phrase, think about this, guys. He's used the phrase brothers and sisters in this five little short chapters. He's used the phrase brothers and sisters 18 times. Do you hear his emphasis? He began by praying that we were in God the Father. We have the same Father. Just think about some of these things. This familiar warmth that he seems to be going out of his way. Commentators think this is sort of an issue. I don't know that it is. But nevertheless, he's clearly emphasizing this familial warmth that he wants them to have. Go back to chapter 2, verse 8. You all remember that one? Where Paul says that we were like an affectionate mother, affectionately desirous of you. Remember that? Chapter 3, verse 12. Remember, he prayed for an increase in love for one another. Chapter 4, verse 9, he instructs them on brotherly love. So Paul is going out of his way to emphasize this church is family, that we should greet each other as though we're family. Because, right, the most important thing about our lives as Christians is the same. An old mentor of mine used to say that, that the gospel is thicker than blood. Therefore, having all been transferred to the, out of the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of the beloved Son, we should be eager to warmly greet our fellow citizens. That warm greeting could be something as simple as a smile. Even if you're going through some deep darkness, we're not looking for any superficiality here. Even if you're going through some deep darkness or struggle, or maybe you're introverted, you don't have to fake it, but you can say a gentle and glad hello. 
an appropriate embrace, a hearty handshake. And I would hasten to add, friends, this greeting of a holy kiss, or as I'm call it, a greeting of family affection, this should be especially done to those who we know are either going through a really hard time or a really good time. We should especially be going to give them that greeting of family warmth. For those maybe on the good side that maybe just got engaged or uh, maybe just got a job promotion or maybe just had a child, we should especially go and greet them. Or maybe on the other side, the hard side, for those that just lost a loved one, for those that just got some terrible news, we should especially go and greet them in that warmth. But also for those that, for whatever reason, may not as naturally fit within the church because of some reason. Maybe the church is full of families and they're single. Maybe it's a single mother with kids and the church has a lot of families that are sort of intact in that way. Or maybe they're married and they don't have kids. Or maybe it's a congregation that is predominantly white and American and people aren't. They're going to feel that when they walk in the room. You should especially go and welcome them. Or maybe they're poor and the congregation is not largely poor. Or maybe they're a new Christian in a church that has a lot of mature Christians. They should especially be greeted warmly. Or maybe this is their first time in the church. First time ever or maybe first time in a church in this church. Or maybe it's someone that sinned grievously and it's known maybe in the congregation, but they're walking in repentance. They're showing up. It's a vulnerable act. Whatever it is, friends, we should be attentive to not only how we are being greeted, but we should especially go out of our way to those that might be feeling especially vulnerable. Greet them with a holy affection. Greet them in a manner that fits with the warmth of the gospel. A message that saw the weak, the vulnerable, the poor, the hurting with sinners like us welcomed home like that prodigal son was welcomed home with a warm embrace. Welcome to the sacrificial solidarity of Christ who didn't just leave. Jesus didn't just sort of walk from one side of the room to the other side of the room to say hello, but he left heaven to come and die for we sinners so that we might be greeted with a holy kiss by God the Father himself. If he has done that for us, surely we can do something like that for each other. That's to be the culture of the church, guys. This is to be the culture of the church. You might get doctrine right, but you also got to get the culture right. Because even if you're preaching good doctrine and you don't have this warm culture, then you're probably not understanding the gospel correctly in the first place. Ask for prayer for each other. And when you see each other, greet each other with family affection. Because no matter where you come from, We are all that are in Christ. We are all going to the same place. We have the same treasure and we are all sons and daughters of the same God because of the holy kiss of Christ on the cross that we trust in. Third, read the word to each other. Pray for each other. Greet each other. Read the word to each other. Have you noticed, by the way, that these are all sort of basic ingredients of church life? These ending them with? That's not... Without, that's not coincidence. Read the word to each other. Notice the force, guys, that Paul uses here in this portion of the letter. Verse 27, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. I mean, it's very strong language. 
And the reason for this is precisely behind, is, is the reason for why he wants to have this such bold request is precisely behind what Paul spoke of just a moment ago when he said, do not despise prophecy. As we said a couple weeks ago, the New Testament has not been completed at this early stage of the New Covenant. The apostles are spreading out and preaching and teaching the truth in love, but they didn't have the New Testament like we have it. And these apostles are commissioned by Christ to, as Ephesians 2.20 says, they're, they're, they're commissioned to go and lay the foundation of the new covenant era. Therefore, when they wrote, they were conscious, the apostles and their, the disciples of those apostles are conscious of their spirit-empowered words to bind the consciences of the church. Flip back to chapter 2, verse 13. Remember that? Where Paul says, and we also think... God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, he just called his word, the word of God, you accepted it not as the word of men, but what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And so friends, don't believe people when they say that the authors of the New Testament didn't know that they were writing the Bible. That's simply not true. They knew exactly what they were doing. They were aware of the fact that what they were writing was authoritative. Thus, Paul's command right here. I put you under oath before God to have this read to all the church because he knew he was trying to bind their consciences under the teaching of Christ. And this is why, friends, our church reads and studies this book as well as the other books of the Bible. It's the way God's word is the way that Jesus exercises his lordship over us. And so, therefore, we submit to that word and try to order our lives underneath it. These books in the Bible are not just books that sort of contain the word of God. No, the Bible is the word of God, all of it, as we said earlier. Therefore, we should read and study and order our lives by these words, since it is by them that we as Christians enjoy our freedom in Christ. If we compromise on the word, we then move ourselves into slavery and away from our freedom in Christ. I was speaking with a friend of mine just this past a couple weeks ago. He goes to another kind of church in the city, and he was just bemoaning how his leaders of his church were just sort of, they had their hobby horses. And he said, yeah, Nathan, you have your hobby horse too. But, but nevertheless, he was bemoaning it, and he was referencing the fact that they sort of always talked about the same two or three things and really almost never spoke about anything else. I then shared with my friend the practice of many churches like ours that preach through books of the Bible line by line. Forcing the pastor, forcing the church to submit to the point of whatever the next line said and not letting me sort of go to my hobby horses. Feeding us meals that are prescribed by God in all of their complexity. Thus restricting hobby horses and promoting a well-balanced, healthy diet that the Lord prescribes for his people. When you walk through books of the Bible, taking them line by line, that's what happens. And so, guys, just as an example of this, think about our study since last fall. We started in this book last September, and here we are at the end. Just think about all the things that we were forced to deal with that maybe I would not have chosen to have us deal with. We've discussed all kinds of things. We discussed suffering for the gospel at the beginning. We discussed the importance of of the ministry of presence. Remember, Paul talked about sending Timothy because they needed to be together. We discussed the importance of working. 
The sinfulness of sexual immorality. The need to not avenge when we are wrong. To always be thankful. We talked about the general resurrection and how to, what happens to Christians, the ones that have died, and those that are still alive at the time of Christ's return. Last week we discussed the sovereignty and providence of God in salvation and sanctification. All this and more. We need this food and more in the other scriptures. God knows this. Paul knows this. Thus, his call to place them under oath to read the scripture to the church because Paul knows and we ought to know that by them we live. And so it is with us, Restoration Church. We live by the Son of God who sent the Spirit of God to empower the Word of God that we might not conform to the patterns of the world but be transformed into the image of the glory of God. This is what's behind that question that gets asked a lot in our life together. How's your time in the Word been? That's what's behind this. What we're reading here is what's behind this. Prayer is breathing. Reading and studying the Word is eating and drinking. By these two, we live and move and have our being. We neglect these things or deviate from them. We become irrelevant and we die. And so church family, make sure and read the Scriptures to each other. Make sure they're having they're, that we are reading them to you and explaining them to you. Pray for each other. Greet each other with family affection and then read the word to each other. Fourth and finally, remind each other of the gospel. Remind each other of the gospel. You can see that familiar line from Paul, the way he often closes his letters. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. He leaves them. Mindful of the grace of Christ. And let's not forget, flip over. How did he begin? With the grace of Christ. He begins with the grace of Christ. He ends his letter with the grace of Christ. Paul knows that these are the final words of his letter. So therefore, he starts him with the grace of Christ and ends him with the grace of Christ because we are held together by the grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we, that's how we have anything. Paul knows that they are a new and a vulnerable church. Again, this church we think is roughly not even six months old. And if you remember way back in the beginning, these guys are being persecuted a lot. He knows they're new. He knows they're vulnerable. He knows they're surrounded by persecution. He knows they have new green pastors. Therefore, this line at the end is not insignificant. It's there to give them hope. It's there to remind them of who they are. See, what Paul means to leave them with is the truth that no matter what, what he's saying in this passage, the truth is that the blessings of the grace of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ remain with them no matter what. That's what he wants to leave them with, ringing in their ears. That their salvation and their sanctification, their reconciliation and glorification, their status as sons and daughters of God, their confidence of a home in heaven, their hope in the return of Christ, all of it's safe. All of it's secure. All of it goes with them as it does with us. Because Christ is Lord of our lives by His grace. Grace is unmerited favor. God was gracious to give us Christ. Christ was gracious to die in our place as a substitute for our sins. 
He was gracious to seek us out and reconcile us to himself as we placed our faith in him. And even that faith came by grace. The Spirit graciously will keep us blameless till the end as He progressively chips away at our sinfulness and puts on greater holiness, allowing us to cry, Abba, Father. So we can walk through all of this world fraught with many dangers, toils and snares on every single side. But knowing all the while, no matter what, it is not our good works that keep us with God. It is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that keeps Him with us. The difference between those things is massive. It's His hold of us, not our hold of Him that matters in the end. And all that came, not because we're great and smart or whatever, but only because of His grace. Christ is worthy, and He is our Lord Jesus Christ, and He will keep us to the end. And beloved, we enjoy that grace together as a church. One of the most significant ways that the grace of Christ is with us is through His body the body of Christ, the church. Remember, this letter was written to a local church. So are many of the New Testament epistles. Therefore, again, as God has ordained the ends, so he ordains the means to those ends. I don't know if you guys have even thought about it, but the church is the body that is the grace of God that is with us. This moment, right now, is Jesus being with us because this is his body. And he's here by grace in our midst. We are experiencing, even in this moment, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ being with us. And so, church family, pray with and for each other. Greet each other with family affection. Read the word to each other. Remind each other of the gospel. This is the basic diet of our life together. Because again, by them we live. Paul has told them to read this entire letter, and we've done that now. But let me just read the beginning and the end of this letter for us as we close. Go back to the beginning. Next week, we'll pick up the second letter. Paul writes, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, In God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. How do you know, Paul? Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. And then flip to the back. The final words again. This is his final prayer for them. Verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. 
the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.